did you guys even read the books? Did you read them at all before you did this? And to anybody, anybody sit there and go, hmm, maybe undoing eight years of building up a strong female character and then completely undoing it and just making her a crazy bitch over a guy isn't a good idea. Hey everybody and welcome to Wolfcast. This is Vassals of King's Graves, third cat game of Thrones reviews after Krakencast and Dragoncast, featuring um, people from, well, all over the world actually. My name's Bina007, I'll be your host today based in the UK. I'm joined by Nadia. Hi everyone, this is Nadia. By Shadow Baby. Hey, it's Hannah in real life. And from Scotland we've got Glenn. Hi, this is Glenn, Dagos Trevors on the forums. And also Jock. Hi, Jock. And today we're going to be discussing both episodes four and five from Game of Thrones season eight, aka The Last of the Starks and The Bells. Um, obviously, there's going to be spoilers for the show, potentially for the books. And because we're doing both episodes four and five, we're going to take things kind of thematically by looking at the character arcs or lack thereof of the principal characters and pairs um, rather than splitting up episodes four from five because that would take a long time to go through scene by scene but first of all let's start for lemon cake ratings and you can do this guys by episode or by the combination as you wish um hannah do you want to go first oh god <laughs> um so episode four was fine i would have probably given it like a 3.5 and then uh, this last one was just a nightmare for me so zero yeah bowl of brown i was just listening to cracking cast and um one of them gave it the bowl of brown and thanked vic for reminding her that it existed so yeah. wow <laughs> negative eight years worth of lemon cakes can you just say that i'm pissed um nadia how about you what was your rating uh nowhere near as bad as that yeah i thought episode four was okay um i um episode five was there are two different things happening so there's the story and then there's the spectacle um i feel like the spectacle was worth like i don't know a good four lemon cakes like it was visually stunning i feel like they've just lost their way with that I don't know how to read the story anymore. Like, <laughs> like it's all a spectacle. There's no, there's, there's literally no, there's no character progression. There's, there's nothing. There's no smooth progression of scenes. Like it just jumps from one uh, important thing to another. No, I, I don't, I didn't want things to happen exactly the way that I wanted them to. But you know, things that we've been discussing for so long that we thought would eventually pan out would just, just have just been completely ignored over the last two or, two or three episodes. And I'm kind of disappointed with that, um, where characters were obviously heading in one direction and they kind of do a U-turn and, you know, go the other way. Yeah, we're going to get into this, right? Scene by yeah. scene. But I agree with you. Yeah. So I don't, I don't even know how many lemon cakes to give it or whether to give it a bowl of brown or not but it's it's visually it's beautiful it's, yeah it was um the the the, the entire battle was I, I thought it was beautifully done um, just looking at it the game ball was awesome um, we're getting the back okay glenn how about you on on watching episode four i was thinking that oh just watching it because it had slowed down because you've just watched episode three it was the big battle and then i'm sure a lot of fans of the show was expecting action to keep up with the next episode but it sort of slowed down it was more about the aftermath and then about what they do next um so discussing strategies but that's one thing that i really liked about the show because that's you know there's a mixture of action but there's also it does slow it down and it talks about strategies politics and how they're actually going to advance further so with the episode four did thing 3.5 lemon cakes and then with the the fifth episode i was really disappointed it was just so much that i was expecting to happen in a way it did surprise me which is a good thing but then it was a it wasn't i think that um because episode four was all about shattering that illusion that daenerys has it easy because she has the dragons so it's 
evening the score by killing one of the dragons and yeah, then good point. she's she's lost a lot of her army too so it's sort of even-sided between the, the two sides of the war but then Daenerys just has it so easy in this episode it's just glossed over that Oh, and also with, um, like, a lot of people were talking about what you were on scene in the, tr- the preview for the fifth episode, and a lot there was a lot of theories of what that could be, and then it was just, like, it was really disappointing, because nothing, it's just Drogon um, attacking like he did last time, but except this time he somehow defeated all of the ships. <laughs> so um, that part of it went, it went downhill from that point, and then there was a lot of things that I didn't expect to happen during the episode, so I think it would reach it as a two, two lemon cakes. Okay, that seems fair enough. Jock, how about you? Thank God I'm not a Star Wars fan. <laughs> Do you feel that way about both of the episodes, or is one better than the other? The start of War was okay, then it went downhill from there, and it never recovered. God, so are you at Bowl of Brown Territory, or a bit more generous than that? Yeah. <gasps> wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, I gave the first episode four, two and a half. There were lots of things that I didn't need to happen or I didn't feel should happen. And were obviously laying the groundwork for some of the stuff that then unfolded in episode five, which were deeply dissatisfying. And for episode five, I'm with Nadja, I think as a spectacle, it sort of worked. But for me, it's maybe one lemon cake on the grounds of some of the spectacle. But I really didn't like a lot of what they did. And I felt that it's not that I don't think Danny was going to go mad over King's Landing. I actually thought that from the beginning, that she was going to go mad and take out King's Landing. And it's not that I didn't think you could make a plausible story about how Jamie goes back to Cersei. And lots of these decisions, I think, actually, you could make that argument. Um, but it's like Bing, Shoeshiner was saying on Krakencast, I just don't think they had laid enough groundwork to get there. And I don't think it was earned. And it just felt very rushed and jarring. So for all those reasons, it was just kind of like, whatever. And Clegane Ball, I actually found myself fast forwarding through. I was just so unemotionally invested in it. So I'm looking forward to getting into that. Oh, my God. So, yeah, I mean, like, I think probably two and a half lemon cakes in episode episode four and one one and a half for episode five. And I'm being generous. I think you're being real generous. Yeah, I mean, I was very angry after episode four. Um, I had a long WhatsApp rant with um, a friend of ours called Irina about the whole Jamie character development or lack thereof. So I'm I'm much more zen calm now because in a sense, episode five was so ridiculous that I've, I'm kind of very zen calm about it all now. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you know, that's why I came back to watching the show because I'd achieved that state of uh, mental detachment from it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I, I'm not reacting to it the same as I did back in season four. Yeah, if this was four years ago and the same shit was happening, yeah. I, I would be flipping tables and losing my Well, I That's why I try to tell people that don't watch the show and they're like, no spoilers. I'm like, if this is going to spoil the books, we should all pack up our mics and walk away right fucking now. We're not getting Dream of Spring. George has just confirmed he hasn't finished T-Wow and he's not even started Dream. It's just not happening. So we just have to get to Zen Calm about that too. This is the ending we're getting. We can have the Mm -hmm. fan fiction of our headcanon. And that's it, boo. You know, just... Get get used to it. No, I, I still have hope for <laughs> the writing, but I have no hopes for this. Oh, you sweet summer child. Okay. I should have known by dawn it wasn't <laughs> going. I should have known. You should have known. So many signals and episodes. Even back to season two, they took some gonzo decisions that were a bit weird. So, Okay, who here wrote episode five worst rated episodes since Ramsey and Sansa? had their wedding night. Oh, I wrote that. Yeah, Worst <laughs> There was an article that was published um, that said, I think it was the Rotten Tomatoes score for the episode, which was 49%, which is the worst rated of all the episodes since yeah. that Sansa episode in season five. And how sad for them, too, to go out this way. It's like, like I said after the show to my friend Sue, who I was watching with, it's like, did you guys even read the books? Did you read them at all before you did this? And to anybody, anybody sit there and go, hmm, maybe undoing eight years of building up a strong female character and then completely undoing it and just making her a crazy bitch over a guy 
isn't a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Did Let, anybody? Let's, let's let's get into. I mean, what what is interesting is when you see all the internet memes of people interviewing the cast before season eight begins, and they're like, "What's it like, season eight? And they're all like, "Ah, oh, yeah." And um, someone on Kraken yeah. Cast was creating an interview with Gendry and Grey Worm, which I actually was at live. It was at the British Film Institute IMAX Cinema in London, where they're like, "Yeah, plot, yeah, character, uh, you know, not so much." Um, and I think we all thought they were joking, but they weren't. Anyway, listeners, um, we are going to discuss this in the following order. We're going to do a bit on Arya and the Hound and their journey, then Jamie and Cersei, then Danny and John, and then Sansa, Tyrion and Varys, and then we'll do the open questions and predictions for the final episode. So let's get into Arya and the Hound. So in episodes four and five, Arya turns down a sweet marriage proposal from a hilariously love-struck and newly ennobled Gendry. She and the Hound, the ultimate bromance, head to King's Landing to murder Cersei in the mountain, respectively. But once there, the Hound persuades Arya to turn away from the path of vengeance or perhaps the most loving paternal gesture in Game of Thrones. She then becomes our POV character for the horror of war, which I feel is a big George R. R. Martin theme in scenes that are intercut with Clegane Bowl before leaving on a magical white unicorn that either symbolises death or is Bran, according to which bit of the internet you read. And of course Sandor dies. Um, he cannot kill the mountain, so he pushes them both off to a fiery, cavernous death. So open questions. What will Arya's journey now be? Is she going to assassinate Danny? Is she going to turn away from the path of revenge and marry Gendry and live happily ever after? Did Clogain Bowl do it for you? And uh, Glenn's put Moby Dick comparison, Captain Ahab and the Whale, which is just genius. But let's do the first one first. What do you think Arya now does, having witnessed the real horrors of proper war? Okay, let's let's do um Glenn first, then Nadia, then Hannah, then Jock. Yeah, I think that it is set up for Arya to now kill Daenerys. And actually it's something that George R. R. Martin wrote about, or I think he hinted at when he was talking about like the latest update on not on this not a not a blog, but some something else I read. He was just talking about progress between the two books and he mentioned that the storylines differ because he talked about ratings and certain characters have like more fanfare, so they'll get to do like bigger actions. So I think he might have been talking about Arya at that point. So just like I think that um well, obviously Arya did kill the, the Night King, and then I think it's being set up with the brown eyes, blue eyes, green eyes that she's being set up to kill Daenerys at, as well. Mm. Yeah, which would be a shame in a way after that really, be- I mean, the touching moment between Ari and the Hound was almost the best scene for me in that whole episode. Um, Nadia, thoughts on this whole interaction? With Ari and Sandor? Yeah, yeah, it was it was very touching. Like, Sandor has spent his entire life working towards this one thing, that that's revenge against his brother. He's in a go Montoya. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like his, his entire life has been based around this one thing that he wants to do. He wants to kill his brother, right? And he's seen Arya, like he was around when she started compiling her list of people that she wanted to kill. And he's seen how she's gone, how she's going down that same path. And he can acknowledge that. Like he's known her for so long. And it's, it's amazing how far they've come in that relationship that he can, you know, he can stop her from becoming him basically of, of destroying his life just to achieve that just to achieve revenge um and it was it was Aya has been without a father figure for so long um and it was a very touching scene where he just tells her not to do it and she and she realizes uh, that you know she she has to pull back or she she's going to become him hugely hugely moving um um so what do you think she does do you think she's gonna kill cersei too is that the consensus i guess oh uh, danny yeah um, sorry danny yeah if she does if she does do that then what then what was the point of of that scene with Sandor? like he <laughs> bueller then yeah. what was the point like he he tries to pull it back from you know killing whoever she thinks is doing the wrong thing i hope she doesn't and yeah i understand that the I, I understand what they're trying to set up with, you know, with um, that little girl and her mother where they get burned to death. And I'm assuming if Arya does kill Danny, that's going to be like the reason she does it. Mm. Um, but I don't know. It's like they, they, they conflict with each other. Like, I don't know. I don't want her to kill Danny. I just I agree. I want her to be able to return to Winterfell, have a somewhat normal life. 
I, I think it is a bit different though. It's um so like throughout the series when she has her names, you know, Cersei, the the hound, um, like the, that's motivated by revenge. Whereas if she were to kill Daenerys, it's more like because she's seen the havoc she's caused and she's maybe thinking longer term. The idea that all her other desires for vengeance were very personal. It was about people who'd hurt her or hurt people she loved. Whereas this is a genuinely altruistic gesture that um, Danny has killed people that she doesn't know personally, that aren't her family, just ordinary small folk that she's been with them and now she wants to protect them. Um, but how would that affect her relationship with John? Like, yes, think- John has not known Danny for that long, but she is his aunt. And however, you know, it, their relationship is all obviously going downhill. But if Arya kills her and John finds out that she has killed her, does that affect their relationship? Probably, but I feel that John also stumbling around in King's Landing, looking at the devastation, looking at what it's done to his own men. I think he's also, he just has this look of complete shock and horror. So I think he's in that place. I'm not sure if he's in the place where he could kill Danny himself, although he must be thinking that's kind of what it probably is going to come to. But maybe he'd be relieved if Arya did it. But she's a faceless man. She can probably do it without him knowing. It's her, right? Yeah. But considering that John has done nothing the entire season, I don't expect him to do anything in the last episode. He's too perfect and pure as a hero, right? He can never do any wrong. He's always earnest. He always does the right thing. So it's just uninteresting and dull to me, character-wise. Exactly. Like there's, there's nothing. There's, there's been no progression in his character at all. And he's literally done nothing. Like he's just stood around and you know just repeatedly stated that he doesn't want the crown. That's, that's about it. Mm. Um, the Arya and the Hansi and Hannah. That was the probably the single only thing that I admired out of the episode. And I'm really not kidding. And the reason is, is because um, I like the contrast between her during the long night or I guess the one leading up to that where she says, I know death. He has many faces. I look forward to seeing this one. And she's all cocksure and smug. And she goes through that and isn't even nearly as shaken up as she is with this face today. She's like, I don't want to see this one. Okay, on to Clegane Bowl. Who, who, hands up, who, who liked this? The only part I liked was when he smashed Kyburn's head against the wall. I thought it was hilarious. The funniest bit back to Gangball is when Cersei does a Tom and Jerry tiptoe away in the background because everyone's (laughs) talking like a little cartoon (laughs) character. Um, Nadia, you liked it, right? I I loved it. So how come you loved it? Tell us. It's he Sandor finally got there and he's convinced himself that he's the only one that can kill the mountain because at one point uh, right at the beginning of Game of Thrones there were, even though the mountain was stronger even then, they were kind of evenly matched, like Sandor was quicker, he could when the mountain was trying to kill Loras Tyrell, the hound was the one who stopped that fight and they yeah. were kind of evenly matched right, and yeah. even though he's heard about some of the things that have been done to his brother like he doesn't exactly understand how how much stronger he is and we see that like when he starts to fight he's just like he can't even hit him almost because he's so strong and then when he eventually comes to the realization that there's no way he can kill him just you know through strength of arms he that's when he you know kind of takes the extreme way out and just takes him down with him and the sad thing was that he eventually died in a fire which is what he'd been trying to run away from his entire life yeah I, I see it I mean I just think this is one of those things like Jamie and, and Brienne's love for each other that was better in my head it's like I don't need to see them have sex and I don't need I just feel that Clegane Bowl in reality was never going to be Clegane Bowl in my head and I just felt that it was all spectacle and CGI and craziness and it it just somehow lost the emotional intensity I thought it was going to have um, uh, and when we almost got like Oberyn 2.0 that was amazing I was yeah I was, that was a nice touch second, I was sure <laughs> that it was going to happen it was it was amazing come on yeah that was a cool moment um Glenn? I thought the same was happened to um because it, the same setup that he's ready to bust his face with his hands. Mm. Um, I, I guess uh, the game ball. I guess it was obvious when Sandra was arriving in in the city that it was it was going to happen, but it just didn't happen the way I thought it would. Cause, um, I, I know I had read someone saying that Cersei would be losing and then she would be going through trial by combat and then 
the mountain would fight for her and then Sandra would fight for her so I thought it would be something like that but in the final episode not in, not in this episode but still it was you know a good action scene um you know I thought actually so that the movie Dick that came into my mind when you see Sandra and he's like after that attack from the mountain that you stabbed him in the face but then you see how damaged the hound's face is and I thought oh he'll be blinded by this even if he's killed his brother he'll be blind um, you know and that's caused by him wanting revenge that this has happened but then eventually they they both go over and into the fire but I I still enjoyed the scene yeah Um, Hannah any thoughts other than you hated it (laughs) this to me is like the way Varys goes out I could see something of that nature happening in the books, but this hyper-condensed version is terrible. Yeah, I mean, this this may or may not happen in the books. I'm actually not sure it will happen, but if it does happen, it'll be better done than the <laughs> Oh, yeah, like I I can see something similar happening with Varys in the books, ultimately. I can see his storyline ending is similarly, because I don't think that Varys is like an evil character in the books. I think that his motivations are like on the show where... He cares about the small folk and he always moves in their favor as he can. He doesn't care about the high lords. Yeah. But who cares? Because now it, it means nothing. <laughs> nothing means anything on this motherfucker anymore. I'm over it. So nihilistic. Um, Jock. It should have been titled, At Least It'll Be Over Next Week. <laughs> the pain is soon to be over. <laughs> come, come, sweet release. <laughs> Jock, any thoughts on Click Game Ball? Um, I like Cersei's sort of reaction, just like, sort of like, why is this happening? Uh, this Why is this not all about me? She's so narcissistic. The concept that two people might be having a blood feud in front of her, it's just like, what? <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, Clegane Bowl, it happened. We'll see if it happens in the book. And then, uh, Glenn, talk us through the Moby Dick comparison. It is, um, I've never actually read the book, but I know the story very well, and I'm sure we, we all do. Um, so it just came through my mind that when Sandor is fighting his brother and then even before that when he's talking to Arya that just came into my mind that this is something that he's hell-bent on to get revenge against his brother because um, what we hear about his story of how his brother um, up the mountain tortured him when he was young disfigured his face and then he's always been wanting that revenge and he, throughout the entire series he's always said that that that's his dream to kill his brother and then he's got his moment and then, of course, the mountain even further dis- disfigures his face and it ultimately leads to his death because he's sought that revenge. So it just came into my mind of that's, of course, Captain Ahab's um, demise is his revenge against the wheel that tore off his leg. Yeah, I think it's genius. I think it's such a great comparison. Um, yeah, kudos. Oh, yeah, like any um, Gonzo theories on what the white horse means? I think the white horse for me is in an episode that I basically hated when this beautiful, elegant white horse shows up. That's when it truly, I mean, I was almost laughing at it. I was like, please, like, what else are you going to throw me? She gets on a unicorn and rides away. I just couldn't take it seriously at that point. Um, any Anyone here shipping the whole it's really Bran walking into the horse to get his sister out theory? No. Oh, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe spend a little less time setting up beautiful shots with horses for like 90 seconds of screen time and a little on character development and plot. I really honestly believe that if they'd have had half the budget and weren't able to do these movie length episodes that looked awesome and were forced therefore to wow us with character and move us, it would have been better for them. It's like a cubic zirconia. It's beautiful. It looks nice, but it it has no value. Agree. Agree. Okay, so let's go on to Jamie and Cersei, um, which is a pretty epic arc in these two episodes, especially for us Jamie shippers. Um, Jamie and Brienne celebrating after the Battle of Winterfell consummate their love, a consummation neither of us ever wanted nor needed to see, before Jamie hears of Cersei's plight and leaves to join her, abandoning Brienne despite her evident distress at his going and all the Jamie fans' horror. Meanwhile, Cersei lets the small folk into the city to checkmate Danny and has Missandei killed. 
Later, freed by his brother in King's Landing, Jamie does a pippin and rings the bells of the city, signalling surrender. Cersei's cockiness evaporates when the Golden Company, Iron Fleet, Ballistas and King's Landing are all torched. Um, she finally gives in to Kyburn and agrees to seek shelter. She Tom and Jerry style tiptoes out of the impending Thegain Bowl as Kyburn is killed. En route to Cersei, Jamie kills Euron but is also himself mortally wounded. He finds an almost childlike weeping Cersei and tells her, quote, nothing matters but them. Um, they die in the rubble together of the Red Keep and the war for Cersei's cunt is finally over. Oh, where to begin? Oh. Where to begin? Here are some here are some questions that we need to get through. Uh, Jamie's re- Jamie's redemption arc. Anyone? Anyone? Who's the least valued player uh, of me. Westeros, Euron or the Golden Company? <laughs> Golden Company is pretty useless. Like they don't Golden do anything. <laughs> so right, Jock. I mean, why would you stand outside the gates? And then Euron. The reason why he's looking up in that trailer, that preview for the episode, is he suddenly realised he has fixed ballistas at a certain angle. So if the dragon just comes vertically on top or from behind, he's fucked. <laughs> but anyway, I think it was just really sad that these two quite iconic things in the book. I mean, Euron's set up as like Cthulhu in the book, and then the Golden Company, which is really kind of historyed and badass, just end up being shit in the books. And they're just basically a Cersei evening up the battle against any delivery device which is a bit unsatisfying um but anyway let's get into it on jamie because that's this is the big thing how did you all feel going back to episode four about actually having them consummate their love because i kind of felt the knighting was them consummating their love i just didn't need to see it but any of you like it though. exactly exactly no i completely agree like at the time i was happy that you know brian got that chance but then i was like it was so much better when they hadn't like just um their relationship before um, they actually went and consummated it. it was so much more beautiful it was it was she had so much of Jamie's respect um and that would have been that would have been a fitting conclusion to their to their entire arc instead of having you know uh, of them sleeping together and then Jamie running off even after that yeah what the fuck yeah. I think I think honestly I think our our minds are very colored by Jamie's arc in the books whereas uh for a long time it's been very different in the show like um the split between Cersei and Jamie in the books happens pretty early on uh when um Cersei is taken Cersei is arrested by the faith she sends Jamie a very desperate letter uh where she tells him you know she loves him she needs him she wants him to come back and Jamie reads it and he chooses to go after Brienne instead who also needs his help whereas in the books that uh, sorry whereas in the show that never happens we never see the split between Cersei and Jaime in the books Jaime is obsessed with what Tyrion tells him about Cersei that you know when Jaime was a captive of the Starks Cersei was you know basically fucking everyone that kind of ruins it from, for Jaime and Tywin's death is kind of like the final split between them yeah it never happens in the show right yeah. they never they never split. I think the problem is is that Jamie going back to Cersei almost as if she's kind of like an addiction that he can't shake or this huge Catholic guilt complex that he can't be forgiven. He doesn't deserve Brienne's love, right? He doesn't deserve happiness. I can kind of buy it for show Jamie because show Jamie has always been much more beholden to Cersei. So it's not that I'm specifically angry at this specific choice in episode four or five. It's more that I just don't like what they did. I mean, he's one of he's the character I love probably most of all in these books, and I think they've a bit like Varys and, and various other characters, Stannis, Littlefinger. They've just fucked him over from the start, and this is like the culmination of it. But you're right; like in the context of the show, it makes sense. And Glenn, you put some good textual evidence of how they've been setting this up almost from the beginning, right? Do you want to go through that? Your quotes that you put in. Yes, when um, in the as you see the the walls um, caving down and you know that they're, they're going to die, it reminded me of a scene that happened in in season one. Um, I just couldn't remember what episode, so I had to hunt through some of the earlier the earlier season to, to find it. But um, it was it was a scene that wasn't. I think it was a scene that specifically was written that wasn't in the books. So it's just a, a scene between Jamie and Cersei and. Cersei is saying, what have you done? Why did you do it? He's a young boy, he's 10 years old. So Jamie throwing Bran out the window. And what if he remembers? What if he tells someone? What if he tells Robert? And 
um, Jamie says, if if he tells anyone, then I'll kill him. And then he'll kill Ned, he'll kill Robert and everyone, everyone else until the only people in the world are you and me. And I just thought that's very similar to what happens in the, the final that final moment where he says nothing else matters only us and there's a lot of those types of moments happening in the final season so um there's a lot of the well we can talk about it later but a lot of the prophecies that bears has seen or bran have seen and they're coming to light there's quotes that characters have said which are, are happening and we're witnessing them in the final season so there's also a quote from season five it's a small conversation between jamie and Braun, and he says i want to die in the arms of the women i love and so far like all the fans have been rooting for jamie and brienne and they finally got together i was happy that they did but then not so happy when he deserted her because I thought it was for a different reason. I thought he was going to. Oh, and also when Jamie and, and Cersei ran into each other, I thought, hey, is it a Valencar moment? Is it happening? Are we, are we going to be. Yeah. Uh, but then... That's what it should have been. <laughs> But it didn't. Um, but I think it's very Shakespearean, very tragic. So mm. it, I did like the the way it ended. Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I didn't hate it. it. It's a version. I like I like the idea that you can both be in love with Brienne and with Cersei, and that you can love Brienne for her purity and her virtue and the fact that she brings the best out of you. I think that can be very genuine and sincere. But at the same time, you can also have this love that you cannot kill for after all your twin sister you've been through so much together and you have a darker side and Brienne may try and she may see that and love you regardless and that's beautiful but in a sense only Cersei will ever truly really know you and there's always going to be that pull and it is a bit like an addiction I think that you can be years clean but still at the end at the end it's always there calling you so I actually don't I don't I'm not sure if D&D intent, intended this but I think it it kind of had merit as a twisted and dark and like you say Glenn Shakespearean and tragic ending of these two characters and I kind of facetiously said in my summary the war for Cersei's cunt but really I mean it was this is he starts it right by pushing Bran out of the window and the world is literally toppling around them everyone is dead practically and I, I guess to me it, there was a neatness to it even though I there is no way I think well maybe this happens in the book if it happens in the book I think George will take us very dark and then take us back again but yeah, I didn't like it. Like oh. it, it felt like sort of like Jamie like couldn't sort of get out of a sort of um, terrible relationship with like both of them. Don't forget that we had like any good morals or the stuff there. But I think it's realistic. I mean, David HHH brought this up on Krakencast that in real life, people do go back to abusive, emotionally and physically abusive partners again and again. They, they leave and they go back. And I think maybe there's some truth to that, even though I hate it in a way. Poor Brienne. She's going to be heartbroken. Although there, there, there are corners of the internet that think she's now pregnant and that's going to continue the Lannister line. Though. <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing, like, I get it. I get that about abusive partners. It's all good, except for don't wait till the 11th hour to fucking do it so that the last thing we basically are going to get of Brienne is her getting literally fucked over. Yeah. Don't do that. Why are all your strong female characters either just crazy bitches or helpless? Like, this show has never really been known for passing the Bechdel test, but Danny's character does often and they have destroyed her and Jamie's like that but in the inverse and it's like more of a slow burn and they it's not justice it's, this is not doing your characters justice and have it's you sad. ever met people like that I like, mean like I've met a lot maybe because I'm Catholics I know a lot of like fucked up twisted Catholics but I know there is a kind of person who cannot let them themselves be happy and have this real self-confidence self um doubt guilt and it's a toxicity that's so deep that even when they're experiencing the greatest happiness like sleeping with Brienne finding this true love they can't let it succeed and I I kind of see that there could be some validity to this for Jamie even though I don't think it's been earned by David and Dan like I'm 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 bringing my own stuff to it (laughs) that's that's what I'm saying is like I I do understand that that it that's true but I don't like how that's how you're leaving another great character. They didn't need to consummate anything, I don't think. Yeah. And if they did, it should have been, they should have just leaned into that and, and gone that way, you know, and it should have been more of a reflection of 
they're seen in Heron Hall in the bath. Mm, it's I like agree. who directed that scene they should have done that like why yeah, didn't brian, you they should have got brian cogman to write this or anything with an emotional beat they need cogman um okie dokie so that happened um <laughs> he gets killed by euron thoughts does, does anyone give a shit about euron i don't know no okay no. not in the show it doesn't really seem like jamie really sort of like cared much about euron while he was fighting him yeah, I think it's like really sad. It's like the ultimate fanboy thing where Euron's like, oh, I'll be remembered for killing Jamie Lannister. And we're like, A, you won't because everyone's dying so no one's going to fucking remember you. And B, like, Jamie's like, whatever. If the biggest thing in your life is that you're remembered for like what you did with me, I mean, what does that say about you? It's pathetic. Um, yeah, anyway, gone is Cthulhu. Right, should we get on to John and Danny? Any last thoughts on Cersei and Jamie, R.I.P.? Neil? I think it would have been better for her to have been captured and, like, she is made to kneel. You know what I mean? Like, that would have been better. Well, it would have been more, awesome more satisfying. More, I feel like. <laughs> would have been more satisfying. Yeah, yeah. We... I, wanted be, I wanted her to be brutally murdered. But or, we've seen her humble before. Like, is kneeling before Danny more humiliating than the walk of shame? I'm not sure. I mean, they've gone there with Lena Headey. But, you know, good on, yeah. good on Lena Headey for getting paid a million dollars an episode to stand on the battlements and drink wine. Uh, easy way to cut a paycheck. <laughs> right. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, some people do have the luck. Okay, so uh, John and Danny. Right, Danny storms off from the celebratory Winterfell piss up, jealous of the adulation John's getting, his support, his family, his claim to her throne. She begs him not to reveal his claim and tries to re-establish their love affair, but he recoils several times, fatefully, in uh, this episode, this latest episode. He then tells his siblings the truth about his parentage before leaving Winterfell with Danny, casually casting Ghost aside. There is no forgiveness for that. Uh, despite Sansa's advice that her troops are tired, Danny rushes to King's Landing, forces jo- forcing John to repudiate his sister and back this terrible decision. But Danny is soon even more isolated than at Winterfell. Regal is killed by Euron, Missande is killed by Cersei, and once Tyrion grasses up Varys, Danny realizes that she has also been betrayed by John, Sansa, and Tyrion. She has Varys executed in vengeance, and later, despite hearing the bells of surrender, she commits a heinous war crime, torching King's Landing with Dragonfire. John watches in horror as Danny torches the city, and as his own Northmen and the Dothraki kill surrendered Lannister troops and start to rape and pillage the small folk. He even kills one of his own men to prevent a rape, looking utterly helpless as he does so. Um, so much to discuss here. I guess it's it's kind of. Do you want to just do the character arc of Danny first, and then we can do John's reaction? Because this is going to be the most controversial bit. And I'm going to go first and just say very concisely that I have no problem believing that George is leading us to the point where Danny goes full targ. And I liked how the writers here isolated her and isolated her and pushed her to that point. I just think there's a way in which you could have written this that would have seemed less unearned and misogynistic um so it's a shame right it's a shame to come to this final battle where you have two crazy paranoid queens going at each other that's unfortunate but i have no doubt some version of this is going to happen in the books just better written so i'm a little bit on the fence with her and i just hate dragons and i hate targs and i'm just glad that she has turned into the targo as new she was that said it's kind of sad that it becomes a kind of biological thing rather than a character driven thing Oh, yeah. who wants to go first? Who who kind of doesn't? I don't know. Oh, have at it, guys. I don't know. Nadia, do you want to go first? <laughs> I don't think there was ever a point that I thought that Danny wasn't going to go full targ. Um, so I wasn't shocked by that at all. I was just, I'm like most people, I'm unhappy with how it came about. Um, like you yeah, said, that seems to be the consensus, right? Yeah, exactly. It's just, I think they could have just structured it the story better where she didn't seem quite so mad where maybe she didn't take the city so cleanly that you know she could have had to kill a lot of people to actually conquer the city and then just you know have to deal with the consequences of that because in the show they could have given her a proper speech like when when Tyrion's saying like let them surrender and then call it off she could have made a speech wherein she says, okay, fine, but bear in mind, if I do torch them, 
I may be killing the children of today, but it's to save the children tomorrow. She could have done her whole breaking break her breaking the wheel speech again. Like they could have given yeah. her some words that explain that while this might seem horrific for her, it is a kind of freedom and mercy because she's trying to forever destroy the established powers and like we didn't get any POV. She was just like this nutter on a dragon. We didn't even see exactly. her face I once it all started. The, that's the main problem with the show. We don't get any character build, build character building. It's just it's just all spectacle now. Like it's it's shocking twists and how is this person going to win this battle? There's there's nothing about the characters, which is why we loved Game of Thrones so much initially, right? Because there was so much about why characters were doing what they were doing. Um, we don't get an explanation for this. And yeah, Danny is very isolated, but I think also I'm not the biggest Danny fan, not even in the books. But in the show, I feel Danny uh, has been particularly one dimensional. Like she's always been this uh, from the very beginning of her arc. Like she was, she was out for, she was trying to help the, the common people, like from. <sighs> Like back in season one, like that's the first thing we see from Danny. She tries to save this woman who's being raped. And then, mm. you know, from there, she she tries to rescue all the slaves. And it's it's been like she in the show, there there haven't been many times where she stepped out of line. Right. And like, she has I mean, she has torched stuff before and she has crucified people before. But it was usually because she was trying to achieve a greater good. And, you know, yeah. I, I feel maybe there was a way they could have made what she did in King's Landing also seem like a more nuanced decision rather than a selfish exactly, vengeance. Exactly, exactly. But they I didn't. Just, I just and they could have done. Yeah, they could have. I, I just have a problem with how they structured the entire battle where she had already won the city. Like she had conquered it and then she decided to torch it for like simply because she wanted revenge. Yeah. <laughs> I know this is. I guess not the books for me or show for me, but I really hate when characters I like do really bad things. And this is like an example of it. Um, I did not um, ever think that we would see something like that. I mean, I know I've seen Daenerys use her dragons before, but just um, when she's flying towards... I thought it would just fly towards the Red Keep and burn that, but I just felt like the burning all the all the people below was unneeded. And, you know, never ever have I felt this way about a character's decision than in the final Hunger Games movie in Mockingjay when it, it's um, after the aftermath, they've captured the government officials, they've captured, um, um, they've captured Snow and they, they ask all the surviving Hunger Games victims if they want to have a final one, but with like the government's children or grandchildren and Katniss votes yes. And on reflection, that's like, you can understand why she does it because it's calculated. But with this one, this decision from Daenerys to burn, burn all those people, I don't think there can be a justification for it. So yeah, it was, it was disappointing to see, I thought. Yeah, I think that's beautifully articulated. Um, H, Jock, thoughts? I love Danny that she's such a complex character. She's a character that wants to do good for the sake of good, not just because of what she wants, even when it hurts, even when it's hard. The way a ruler should be. And to just undo all of that in a single moment is not fair to the character, yourselves, the actress, the fans, the people who made you rich and famous. I hate it. Yeah, yeah and... I don't think the actors are very happy anymore. Like, I think Daenerys, oh, sorry, not Daenerys, <laughs> Emilia Clarke has gone on record and saying that when she filmed the last, the very last scene, that she was, she was really sad that this was going to be the last thing that people remembered from Danny. Um, yeah. So I feel like even they're not happy anymore. It makes no sense. It's it's terrible. I feel like if anything. Like the scene where she hands him a Sandy's collar, and that's the only thing that she had kept from anything, her only possession, and he burns it. I think the way anything should have played out is they ring the bells. She's not happy. She's not satisfied in her wrath, but she does stand down, and then Grey Worm is like, I'm fully unchained now, and he starts a melee in the streets. Like, something like that would have made more sense. It would have been sad, but it would have made more sense. It would have been a sacrifice I'm willing to make. Like you said with the dragons, like her uh-huh. losing the other one, I fully expected to level the playing field even farther. Oh, yeah. Well, Christ with one wouldn't be just as big a sort of subversion of his, of his arc as 
his whole story, although it's not very handled well in the show, is of sort of like blatant flee from what he's been trained to do, which is to be a sort of killing machine. So him going on a sort of lampage would, would not yeah, just, just been, be the himself. It would have been terrible. Like a lot of people paid the price, but he got his he got his humanity back. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. Like you could have done so much more there, and then gone on to have a confrontation with Cersei. And I again, I think it would have been way better to make her bow while everyone watches. Just want to just take a dose to uh, Amelia Clark though. We can sort of like tell throughout the whole thing that she's really trying despite not the OE into it, like she seems to be trying to sort of do the lighter's job for them. Um, okay, so John, how is John going to react to this? What will he do in the next episode? So there's not much is to talk John... about with John. I mean, like John has a very boring, does basically fuck all in this episode, apart from be earnest and look grim, but what's he going to do? Is is John going to do anything or is he just going to stand aside and wait for Sansa to do something? Because Maybe. Like, <laughs> yeah, because he hasn't done anything. Like he hasn't made any decisions for himself. He tells Sansa and Arya about who his real parents were. That's that's about it. Yeah, that's he... the only decision he's made other than the, other than that he's just a spectator. I'm not sure he even deserves to rule. He's not charismatic. I mean, I don't know. Anyway boring move on anyone wants to say anything interesting about john there isn't anything interesting about john anymore i I agree (laughs) he's become the kind of character that that george didn't want to write which is the perfect hero who's always good who never does anything bad he's basically quite dull um and but he gets the throne at the end basically through not much effort but by being aristocratic white and male i mean if he ends up on whatever passes for a throne i mean i think that's a pretty sad lookout for a guy who's meant to have written one of the most subversive fantasy series in history yeah uh, yeah Ugh. i don't know i honestly like you guys know how i feel about cat and sansa and we do at some point at some point on sunday night i realized these fucking people have managed to make me hope Sansa ends up on the fucking Iron Throne because at least she played it well. <laughs> That's because Sansa's you. a badass and she does shit and she survives oh, and she refuses to be a victim and she's just that. Uh, anyway. Okay, that's a beautiful segue. Let's get into our final character segment, penultimate segment of this episode. So this is Sansa, Tyrion and Varys. So episode four, Sansa tells the Hound she's no longer his little bird and not to feel bad because all the horrific stuff that happened to her have made her who she is today. I'm sure we all have thoughts about how that was phrased. She wisely advises Danny to let her troops recover before marching to King's Landing. She also, well, John does this like dickhead thing where promise me you won't tell anyone, but you don't know what it is that you're promising to keep a secret yet because you don't know what the secret is. So she promises then immediately breaks it by telling Tyrion in a very calculated move because she knows that Tyrion's going to blab. Meanwhile, Bronn wants to be Lord of Highgarden in exchange for not killing the Lannister boys. I mean, like random scene. Why do we need Bronn at the moment? In Dragonstone, Tyrion reveals the truth to Varys, who immediately wants to overthrow Danny for Jon. He writes letters spreading the truth to persons unknown. We don't know if those letters have been sent and to whom. And indeed may have tried to poison Danny, but she's refusing food, so it didn't work. Tyrion then, this is really interesting, even though he kind of agrees with Varys that Danny is incredibly volatile and risky. He grasses up Varys and seals poor Varys's fate and Varys is then executed. I thought this was a very moving scene and he was perhaps the noblest man in Westeros after all, doing it all for the realm. Um, in King's Landing later, Tyrion tells Cersei she's not a monster <laughs> and to surrender for the sake of her child. He later frees his brother from the Unsullied, hoping that Jamie will get Cersei to surrender, after which they'll escape Danny's wrath because he has ultimately betrayed his queen for his siblings in the end. So a very complex set of interactions there. Sansa and the Hound, what do we think about that interaction and how she expresses her transformation after her treatment at the hands of the Boltons? Uh, Varys, um, how do we feel about the way he went out and the treatment of his character in this show? Tyrion, you know, I get that Jon is pussy whipped, but why is Tyrion so loyal? And he seems to go back and forth, you know, he grasses Varys up. And did the Tyrion Jamie final scene do it for you? So let's start off with Sansa and the Hound. Nadia, we're massive Sansa and Shippers. Um, 
I kind of felt a little bit let down with this scene, but then again, that's not what this show is. I feel a lot of that emotional connection between a Stark girl and the Hound has happened with Arya, so maybe it is what it is. And I also didn't hate yeah. that she said that her horrific experiences have made her who she is today. I don't think she's kind of internalizing or saying that rape is okay. I think she's just being factual and saying, look, this is now who I am. I'm not that girl you knew. I've been through shit. I'm a survivor. I'm not a victim. I'm owning it. And I now move forward. Yeah, exactly. I don't know why people. I don't know why people are thinking thinking that she's saying that it was that it was because she was raped that she's you know. She, I think she just means that every every hard thing that she's had to go through has made her stronger. Um, I think that's that's all that she means. And people have been saying, uh, you know, like it, it's you know, where you say, you know, uh, uh, it's that phrase, you know, adversity makes you stronger. I think that's 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 the meaning of what she's saying. I don't oh, think yeah, she's... Hannah, like people like Jessica Chastain on Twitter and whatever have been saying, what? you don't have to be raped okay. to be a strong woman and blah blah. Oh, and I, and I okay, so here's my thing. I had the same thing with like with the whole when that came about and the fan backlash. I was like, well, first of all, they condensed her character with another one in the books. And I feel like the only reason we're freaking out about it is because we know Sansa more. Like, you could hear about a crime happening away from your house or your community and be like, that's really sad, but it doesn't impact you, you know? And also, how come it's okay for it to happen to Danny or for Danny to say it, but not her? And again, I don't like Sansa, so stop me defender. It's like, Danny said basically the same thing. She's like, I've been defiled, raped, and I'm still here and I'm doing my shit. You know what I mean? Like, so it's okay for Danny, but not Sansa. That's weird. Why do you criti- why did they criticize Sansa for that? Like okay, that's this her is, this is just yeah, Shastane on Twitter. Rape is not a tool to make a character stronger. A woman doesn't need to be victimized in order to become a butterfly. The little bird was always a phoenix, her prevailing strength is solely because of her and her alone. And I don't think that's what they were trying to say, and I also don't agree. I think we're all products of things that happen to us. It doesn't make us a victim. It just makes us being part of the world and interacting with yeah. people. And yes, you have well, certain that's... innate characteristics, but I don't think it lessens Sansa to, for her to acknowledge. In fact, maybe it makes her stronger to say this stuff happens to me, but I've survived, prevailed and taken what yeah, I needed yeah. from it and move forward. I, I, don't I mean, I guess it. I can kind yeah. of see what she's saying, but it's like you're reducing her now. You're reducing her to just the rape. A lot more has happened to her than just that yeah she's been schooled she's by little many betrayals. Yeah. yeah she's been in court like with all these major players there's a lot more that's so for you to say that it re- you're the one reducing her to just that act yeah and that's not okay for anyone to do to anyone ever i don't know if any of the boys feel that they yeah, want to jump she... in on this <laughs> they might feel they uh, want to just stay the fuck out of it <laughs> sorry nadia yeah, she doesn't just, she doesn't just <laughs> mention ramsey bolton she says you know little finger happened and the boltons have boltons happened right so she's so she's talking about her entire arc not just getting raped right. by them yeah it does remind me of the scene at the beginning when they're burning everyone and Sansa pins the, the start pin to Theon. I just thought that was such a beautiful scene. Yeah. And just like that message of you're a Stark, you belong to our family. Oh, You've come home. One of the best parts of that, that episode for me. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, all the feels. Um, I okay. feel... I- I'll play devil's advocate and say that um, the main problem with Sansa in comparison to Danny is that the showrunners made the decision to make a lot more about Fion during the Archer sort of scenes, and they haven't really sort of followed up from Sansa's point of view like they always since. So I may have just um, not been paying attention, but it doesn't seem like this is sort of like the first time she's spoken about at all. Yeah. I think that's fair. Of yours. Mm, I think that's fair. Okay, so that's Sansa and the Hound. Um, <laughs> okay, let me. I don't know if we even want to say anything about Bronn. Other than it's very weird to me that Cersei is like sending off Bronn to kill her brothers, and then like an episode later, and they know this, and then both of them try and save her literally the next episode, which I guess speaks well to their characters that they're very forgiving. Yeah. But um, I think at this point they just have Bronn because he's a he's a fan favorite. Like, what the fuck is he doing there? They should have killed him off somehow. Yeah, then. like, he doesn't serve any purpose. Like, the the whole, like, they set up, they've been setting it up for the last, uh, I think, two or three episodes where, you know, um, Kyburn gives his, gives him the crossbow that he killed Tywin with, that Tyrion killed Tywin with. And, and it just doesn't pan out. 
out. Like he gets to Winterfell, he tells Jamie and Tyrion what Cersei wants, and then they just ignore it. Like it's 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 a lot of setup for no payoff. Maybe at the end everyone's dead and Bronn sits on the motherfucking Iron Throne. I don't know. I mean, at this at this stage, nothing would surprise me. I'd love to see that. That'd be hilarious. Um, It'd be great. Yeah. I, I mean, wonder if that's the cry for help, and that's just how Jerome Flynn negotiates contracts. <laughs> Oh, that would be so good. Um, but he, I mean, yeah, God bless him. Absolutely. Okay, so into the more serious stuff, which is Tyrion. So Tyrion's reaction to knowing that Danny's becoming more volatile, to knowing about Jon's parentage. He loves and respects Jon too. Um, and yet he makes the decision to go to Danny with news about Varys that he knows is going to probably result in her not taking it well and killing him. Ah. This is tricky. This is tricky. And actually, I'm surprised the show went there because they seem to love Tyrion. How do you guys feel about this? All all, all season long, Tyrion has kind of been like, uh, I think he's been going kind of the John route where he's stood by and let stuff happen. Like every decision he's made has been the wrong one. Honestly, I feel like I do understand why he would he wouldn't turn against Danny. Like he's invested a lot in her. And we haven't had any obvious um signs that Danny is going mad. Like she's considering mm. she's considering it. She's considering doing a lot of stuff that is morally questionable. That's a hell of a risk to take. I mean I don't know. I just feel that with Tyrion, he reminds me of that Edmund Burke quote, which is, all that is necessary for evil to triumph is that good men do nothing. And I feel that faced with the same risk, faced with the same risk, Varys decides to do something. And we may or not agree with his method, which is potentially poisoning. And I just feel that Varys dies this incredibly noble death. I hope I'm wrong. He does it for the realm. He does it for the small folk that Danny always claims she does it for. And Tyrion, for whatever complicated reasons, just can't bring himself to say, you know what, I threw away my family. I made this choice to go for Danny and I was wrong. And, you know, it takes a lot, right? When you think, when you prize yourself as being one of the smartest men in Westeros, it must take a lot of humility to say, actually, I bet on the wrong horse. I got it wrong. And he can't do it. So I just came out of that episode thinking that all along, maybe Varys and the Hound were two of the, the best men in Westeros, which is not what I thought going in. Um, Glenn, thoughts on, on the whole varys Tyrion interaction? I know that, um, oh, it just like you were saying that he did it for the realm and that just goes back to that that first interaction between Varys and Littlefinger where Little um, Varys says no Littlefinger says I know you know my intentions what are yours and Varys says for the realm and I I guess I was just um, surprised that he died that way because I was expecting we would at least see him until the final episode like a lot of the characters that, that died this episode Oh, and I guess with the the Tyrion Jamie scene, that's um, I guess um, th- there's a lot of emotional weight to that because it's I think they both know that they won't see each other again. So either Jamie goes off and dies, or even if Jamie did make it through, saved Cersei, or survived that, then likely Tyrion will die after Daenerys finds out that mm. he let Jamie escape. Yeah, which apparently is why Davos has been kept alive all this long. I never really why Davos liked Danny, and apparently he just exists so that they've got someone to smuggle them out when Danny comes after them. Um, I assume Davos is still alive somewhere, running around the rubble of King's Landing. Who the fuck knows? Um, yeah. Uh, Hannah, Jock, any thoughts on the whole Tyrion flip-floppity flip-flop scene? It's a bit weird, especially since Ferris is his friend when, like, in like the whole battle scene, like he's just looking down, like shocked face, like yeah. disapproved. I completely agree. H, sad, disgust, or angry rant. You're cool. Uh, I'll pass. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at this point, it just, it just, this was actually the thing that confounded me the most. Like with the Jamie decision or the Danny decision, I could see how George might take us there and do it in a better way or how you could logically do it. The Tyrion kind of shopping Varys thing really sat poorly with me. Um, but it is what it is. Let's move on. Okay, so we get this rather moving final scene between Tyrion and Jamie. Did it do it for you? No. Yeah. Yeah, come on. 
It didn't for me, well, Nadia, well, and I was surprised. A, I was sitting there thinking. thing, yes, but like what it leads to, the way it's done, again, no. It's all about execution. But it was nice as a standalone um, thing, but the story, no. The oh, whole reason God. for the scene is that Jamie didn't cover up his golden hand, and his only reason why is because he says he's the stupidest Lannister. <laughs> <sighs> well, yeah, it wasn't perfect, but That's come on. That's bad <laughs> That is bad writing. <laughs> Amidst a sea of bad writing, this particularly crests the wave. <laughs> but, you know, if you got something out of it, great. For you. I mean, actually, I was kind of, I thought I was sitting there watching it thinking, this should be moving me. Why is this not moving me? And like, well, it was the same with Clegane Bowl. I was kind of like, why is this, you know, I don't know. Um, Glenn, what, what did it move you? Well, I guess it, it did. But then, I don't know, something about the acting was all for me. I just feel maybe Jamie had already got the script for this episode, a.k.a. Nikolai Custer-Waldau, and decided that this was all a bit whack, and uh, therefore this wasn't his best work. <laughs> uh, he looks distinctly yeah. unimpressed in interviews about this. Okie dokie. Let's, let's wrap up. Let's go to open question. We've got one episode left of this season, series, um, and we have some open questions. Um, who will sit on the Iron Throne? What will Danny and John do to each other? Did Varys get the word out? If so, what are the consequences? What did Bran tell Tyrion? Will Bran, Sansa and or Bronn come into play in the final episode? So interestingly, I'm on the forums of a podcast of Ice and Fire, which is the podcast of which we are an offshoot. And it's kind of interesting when you go into the episode reviews of this episode, it's one of the most even for scoring. So we've got every option for people on the forums from five lemon cakes down to bowl of brown. And it's kind of like evenly about four or five votes for every single option in that, which is interesting. But we also put up a poll of who do you think is going to be on the Iron Throne at the end of the episode? And the options were no one, the Seven Kingdoms split, Danny, John, Sansa, Tyrion, Sansa and Tyrion, Arya, Gendry, Arya and Gendry, Three-Eyed Raven, Republic. And you could pick multiple options. And by far the winner is no one, the Seven Kingdoms split and Republic, closely followed by... Um, Sansa, John, Sansa, and Tyrion. So, but far more votes for people saying no one's going to sit on the Iron Throne. So, how do you guys feel? What's your prediction, Glenn? At the end of this next episode, who do you think's going to win the game? I mean, it's called Game of Thrones. What is going to be the final scene? True, I think I am leaning towards that. That Daenerys and Drogon will die, and they'll decide to split the Seven Kingdoms up. So that resolves that issue that Santa had about the North. Um, the, Iron Ireland, the Iron Island can rule on their own and all the other kingdoms will rule on their own. But then that, I believe that will happen. But then because of that, I think it will also go down as worst endings. Like in the whole of, like when people are compiling lists of worst endings to shows that will John lost in years to come because of that yeah lost was also cited in crack and cast um luckily i did not watch that yeah i mean i do i kind of i don't know i kind of think it i've always thought that king's landing would be torched um i kind of feel like at one point the show was building to zansa and Tyrion, like before the battle at winterfall they had a moment but now honestly david and dan are so fucking gonzo it could be anything it could be the three-eyed raven on the throne ruling a roman style council of three or something i have no idea with Tyrion, but oh but we also have seen many images so going back to the house of the undying in season two you see that iron throne and there's snow but then it's an abandoned city and then later on bran has visions of the future and he sees a similar scene so i think that that hints at that that yeah of course um, i think they're they're uh, setting us up aren't they for uh, that that snow now i think we think is the ash falling through the city and it's destroyed but doesn't mean you can't have a new capital elsewhere why couldn't the north be the capital you know the capital doesn't have to be king's landing capitals often move after wars well was i thought it was just like a sort of version of melisandre's vision in the books you know where it says it shows me only snow so the snows is in John's snow. Like, but she could be misinterpreting, be couldn't she? That could just be the ash. Um, or maybe this has nothing to do with the book. Honestly, Not... I think the way this is heading, I think it's going to be John on the throne with um, Sansa, kind of the power behind him. 
Yeah. Tyrion as the hand, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So John, he's basically been passive and done nothing. Gets the throne anyway. Yeah. That's right. Oh, okay. Why do people? Why do people think that John would make a good ruler? Like he was assassinated by his own men. John's a sucky ruler. He's as sucky as Cersei. But at least he would have good advisors. I mean, he'd have like Tyrion and Sansa and people, I guess. Yeah. 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 But is Tyrion a good advisor? Like, every bit of advice has not worked out well for him. Yeah, I mean, I would have said so previously, but like the events of this episode suggest that he's actually morally quite weak. Um, and he has to, he does have this ability to throw everything away just to save his bro and sis. So, um, what do you think happened with Varys? Do you think he got the word out? And if so, what are the consequences of that? I don't think he did, he did but I think Arya will tell people. Yeah, or Bran, or Tyrion. Um, okay. What do you think Bran told Tyrion? This still remains a question. They have this sneaky, suspicious cutaway. And is that going to come in? And like, is Bran, I mean, we talk about Jon being the LVP of this series after Euron and the Golden Company. But Bran is really the least value player of this season, isn't he? Is he gonna, yeah. <laughs> is, is he going to come into play? Like, what did he tell Tyrion? What is going on? Any thoughts, theories, so, you know? It can't have been something about the future of Westeros as a whole, right? If 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 Bran had told him what Danny was going to do or what was going to happen, then Tyrion wouldn't have taken Danny's side. So I feel like it was possibly something from history instead of you know telling him the future, and because that's what they've been. That he's the memory of Westeros, basically. Maybe he told him something that we've read in Fire and Blood about how Targs are destroyed or some shit. I don't know. How to kill a dragon. Maybe how to kill a dragon. Yeah. 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 Because there's no ballistas left. Um, Mm, And there's only one dragon. Unless the dragon stays alive and John rides the dragon. Yeah, it's possible. Like if Danny, if if Danny dies, then John can claim Drogon since Rhaegal is dead too. So say faceless Arya kills Cersei. Or John just decides to betray her. John rides the dragon. John rules Westeros. I, I, I think it was Adam who posted this in the show chat. But um, since it's canon that her Galeans um, are higher proof in the show, um, like Danny was going to is going to try and set fire to John for reasons. And John's just going to be fireproof and walks up to Drogon and stabs him in the throat and kills him. Ooh. Yeah, hmm. I just don't see John being that active, but maybe, maybe. I think the problem is, is we're in the realms of actually fairly bad writing, so almost anything's possible because it doesn't have to be logically built upon what we've seen before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like everything we thought was going to happen hasn't happened. Yeah, so. So, it's anyone's guess. Um, on that happy note, <laughs> we know nothing, the writers know nothing, and therefore it's impossible to predict. How are you guys going to watch the finale? Are you are you excited for it? Are you kind of like um, a little bit nervous? I'm a little bit nervous. Um, honestly, after watching the last two episodes, I'm really not excited about it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I'll watch it through to the end, but I, I don't think I care much at this point. Yeah, I'm very detached. How about you, Glenn? Have you got emotional distance? Or are you still very invested? Oh, well, I'm still invested. Still, I'll still watch it, but there is that, uh, I guess... You know, will it live up to expectations? Will it just will it disappoint a lot of people? Because so far this season has been disappointing for a lot of a lot of people. Um, most of the episodes um, haven't been up to the standards of er- earlier episodes. Like so far, um, like of this this season, I would say the Long Night has been my favourite episodes. Uh, but all the other ones that are average type episodes, so nothing really outstanding. So I'm hoping that this final episode will really, you know, be a satisfying conclusion to the show. Yeah. Don't we all? It's, just, <laughs> it's odd how a show that can get so much, so, so right sometimes can have then such huge failures. Yeah, I mean, the whole relationship of Arya and the Hound that we have seen in the show surpasses anything in the books, I honestly believe. Um, the way that, the way in which Hodor and his demise was treated, I think, is <laughs> some of the best television and write. I, I doubt George could write better than, than Close the Door. And 
I don't know, like it has moments which are just so beautifully well done. And then it has moments that are just so random and weird. So who knows? But anyway, we we continue, hopefully, listeners. We will be back for our final wolf cast. God knows in what kind of form, shape, emotional state. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But thank you very much for bearing through us with this uh, compendium episode, which we've rattled through in record time, which is not a bad effort. Thank you very much to Jock, to Glenn, to Shadow Baby, Hannah, and to Nadia. Thanks, Bina. Thanks, Bina. Um, thanks, Bina. Thanks all for participating. Yeah. We really look forward to chatting to you all next time. In the meantime, if you want to rant, rave, and have catharsis, get through your anger, feel free to join us all on the podcast of Ice and Fire forums. Otherwise, you can search for Vassals of Kingsgrave or VOK podcast on YouTube, Twitter, WordPress and any dating sites <laughs> for your listening pleasure. Um, thank you very much. Bye. Bye, Bina. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Seven Bye. blessings. Seven blessings to all. Bye.